fight to defend the most important democratic protection in Australian law and Australia's national morality is on trial. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 16th of November 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the attempt to ram through the recommendations made by the RBA review. That was the review of the Reserve Bank of Australia um, and pushing that review decided to push to remove any government power over the central bank. This is a grave danger. Democratic power. Now, then we're going to be talking and reviewing uh, the case of David McBride, a whistleblower over the Australian military, particularly in Afghanistan, but generally, you know, more general cultural issues in the Australian um, military forces. And his trial is ongoing now. So we've got some big news on that front too. Very important implications coming from that. Uh, now, uh, don't forget to subscribe if you are not already a subscriber Subscriber and ring the notification bell. Uh, we'll alert you of other upcoming and new shows and material. And you can also make a comment below, engage as much as you can, share on social media. Uh, it all helps to get this show circulating and you know intersect more newer people that can uh, find out and join the fun. And you can also, uh, below in the box, you'll see there's a link you can follow to uh, donate. And that is the only way we're able to keep doing what we do and run these campaigns, which are really getting traction. Uh, but you can also subscribe to our Australian Alert Service uh, magazine, which is a weekly publication. And everything we talk about on the show uh, is contained therein, but in greater detail. Yep. And... The detail we'll be going through on the uh, Reserve Bank stuff is very well laid out in there this week. Very important people actually get a bit of an insight into this, why we're saying it's the most important democratic protection. But in terms of um, our campaigns, Elisa, before we start, what the sort of thing people help towards is we have we have announced this on the show previously, but I've got here the, um, the program for the public hearing on Friday the 1st of December in Canberra, in the mm. Parliament House, for the Bank Closures in Regional Australia Inquiry. Um, and it is a jam-packed hearing. It starts at 8.15am and it goes till 5.30pm. Uh, mm. And that meant I had to, because um, I've been attending every hearing around Australia, right, and sitting through the, the whole lot. Um, I hate staying in Canberra, especially um, at the end of the week. I want to come home. Been usually been there all, I've been there all week. Um, but at that time of night, I had to stay an extra night. Um, so I'll be coming home on Saturday. Uh, but the first four witnesses are people that we've been collaborating with. So, for instance, the first up at 8.15 is, is uh, the LPO group, Licensed Post Office Group, and the per capita think tank, and both of them are going to be advocating a postal bank. Um, uh, I and Glenn Isherwood from the Citizens Party are on at 8.50 for 20 minutes, so 10 to 9 in the morning. And we'll be talking about the need for a public postal bank. Um, Dale Webster, the independent journalist who has done, whose enormous research is what really drove this um, uh, inquiry. She's on at uh, 9.10 for 20 minutes. And then you, have, then you have witnesses like the National Farmers Federation, 
the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, the ACCC, the Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia, Australia Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the Treasury, the Reserve Bank, mm. Australia Post, um, Australia's Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, Indigenous Business Australia, um, and finishing with uh, Lynn Fox, Armagard, and they're the people who move cash around. So all very relevant, very important. Um, but we have our ability to travel around Australia and participate in this inquiry this year has been crucial. I think one of the things, that it's, it's actually a big deal that a political party has been invited to be a witness. Because mm. why would, you know, this is all the senators on the committee are all members of the existing political parties. We're in a sense rival to them. But I can tell you what, none of the, it wasn't lost on any of them as we went to these towns, how much the people of these towns appreciated what the Citizens Party has done to highlight this issue and drive this inquiry. Mm. Right? And I, I, it was a real privilege, privilege to be able to have that experience this year and meet all these people. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. And um, if you can't be in Canberra, I mean, it's, you know, there's only a certain amount of people who can be in the room. You don't have to be in Canberra for it, but, but at, watch the hearing mm. um, live right. on the parliament, aph.gov.au website. We'll put some details below how you can do that. Mm. Yeah, and these are, I might add, some of the same senators we're working with on this project uh, which we're about to talk about in our first segment uh, and yep. what these senators are doing in really, you know, going after the banks in terms of their inability to fulfil a social responsibility to the populations of particularly regional yep. and rural areas is the same as the fight that they're putting up that we're about to discuss um, to give the government, again, as we once did have, power over the banking system. This yep. is the crucial element in this, um, as the topic is headlined, fight to defend the most important democratic protection in Australian law. Yeah, because what's happened, here's, here's what's happening um, now. We, the, the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, has said that he will um, introduce a bill in the last week of November. Mm. So that'll be the week I'm actually in Parliament House. Um, and that's a bill to implement the recommendations of the RBA review. Understand how this came about. There's about 50 recommendations in this review. The first recommendation, extraordinarily, mm. was to change, to get rid of a power that has never been used. Mm -hmm. In the 70 year history, in the, well, 1959 to, um, in the 64 year history of the RBA, the power that was their priority recommendation to remove, has never been used. Mm. And then there's 49 other recommendations that are all, you know, bureaucratic stuff to do with the RBA. What on earth? What is it about this power? Mm. Well, of course, we went big on this at the time. Now that the bill's there, we're going big on it again because here's the bottom line. We have... The only reason they want to remove this power is because of the work that we have done, and by we I mean the Citizens Party and the people in our orbit and collaborators who actually understand the significance of this fight. We have taken the banks to task in a massive way in the last period. We've organised a revolt against the banks, right? We have, we have all built the public support for a national people's bank to bring back a government role in the banking system so that the private banks do not, the, the oligopoly of private banks do not get to dictate entirely banking in Australia. That's what we have done. And we have helped to um, 
uh, inform and uh, back up senators mm. in the parliament who in the last few years have increasingly called for turning the Reserve Bank into a proper national bank. The Reserve Bank is a government-owned bank. It is the government-owned bank in Australia. Quick aside, some people think that they've heard the Reserve Bank is a private bank. No, no. That's confused with the Federal Reserve in America, which is a private bank, right? It's a privately owned bank. The Australian Reserve Bank is not a privately owned bank. It is a government-owned bank. It is owned by the Commonwealth Government entirely, but it is independent of the Commonwealth Government. They made a big deal about doing that in the 90s, except the legislation says, thanks to the fight that John Curtin and Ben Chifley waged in the 30s and 40s, the legislation says that at the end of the day, the Treasurer, representing the Government of the day, has the right to overrule the Reserve Bank's decisions. Mm -hmm. It has a democratic veto over the Reserve Bank. It is the only democratic control only form of democratic accountability over this bank, right? And when you've got senators in the building and they've been doing it in speeches in Parliament, they've been doing it in Senate estimates, and we're talking about Senator Nick McKim of the Crim, of the Greens, Senator Jared Rennick of the Liberal Party, you know, who's lost his pre-selection, and I suspect over this, Senator Malcolm Roberts, even Senator Matt Canavan sometimes, they have been saying, why isn't the Reserve Bank, which can put out all this money to prop up the private mm. banks, the Reserve Bank people, breaking news, if you mm. haven't followed us a lot, the Reserve Bank is right now bankrupt. It is actually bankrupt. <laughs> if it was a private bank, it would be closed down. Mm. But you know what? It's not a private bank. This is the power of a national bank. It's owned by you and me, the Australian people. It is. We have all the wealth of the country at our disposal. That's why it's not broke. And therefore, the government, they're saying, if you can use that kind of power, if you can go into the red so badly to prop up the private banks... Why aren't you doing that to help the actual economy? Why aren't you investing? That's what they've been calling for. And out of fear of that, this message has gotten through. The the power elite in the banking system in Australia, and I'm sure around the world, and at the Bank of International Settlements, they've thought, oh my God, there are upstarts in the Australian parliament that are are determined to take back the money power from us. Mm -hmm. We better take it off them. And they put this recommendation as their number one in the list. Right, And that's what Jim Chalmers is going to try and ram through. We have to stop it. Yeah, and might I add to that for a bankrupt bank, as you just said, the RBA, you can uh, watch a video that Alan Kohler put out on, the, um, on ABC News where he demonstrated that in the fight to uh, stop inflation, which is crushing the average family, because the uh, private banks have so much money parked with the RBA at the moment... Yep and there's a 0.25% increase in the interest rate the RBA has to pay... On Melbourne Cup Day, yep. ...to the private banks for this money that the RBA and the government have given them to supposedly help prop up the economy from COVID onward that's just actually parked at the RBA and that's just sitting there. Well, that extra interest being paid is going to equal $1 billion, right? So here we are forking out all this extra to the private banks while we're screwing down the average family to so-called fight inflation, right? Now, what I want to do, though, is go through what you just sketched out in a little more detail so that people can understand it because we do want people to ring their politicians and we want to hit hard uh, certain individuals, including Chalmers. Well, no, yeah, Elisa, very, very important. We're going to... We'll put the details below. The contact number for Chalmers and his email, the contact number for for Angus Taylor 
the, the shadow treasurer and his email, um, and the, the list where you can go on Parliament's website and find your own member of Parliament. It is vital that as soon as you finish watching this show, or you can pause it right now and do it, you fire off an email, make a phone call to your member of Parliament and to those two, the treasurer and shadow treasurer, and you say you vehemently oppose this measure being rammed through Parliament in the last sitting week of the of the year, or being being passed at all, of course, right? But the reason it's so it's so urgent is because if the two major parties agree and they do agree, you'll, you'll show more of that later. It doesn't matter what if the Greens oppose it or if One Nation opposes it or, or the back, crossbenchers oppose it. They'll just put it through, right? And that's they want this. They they have they want to get to to take away this threat that other the growing portion of crossbenchers in the parliament represent mm. that they might actually take this power back, right? Yep. So you must make this phone call. You must send an email, and we need to bombard them before Chalmers gets up in Parliament and introduces the bill. So they're very aware. Hang on, yeah. The public are expecting this, <laughs> and they're not liking it. Yeah, they're going to know if we go with this, we're going to be in huge trouble. They they have to get that message now. So just to recap, um, particularly the timeline. So March this year yep. was when the Reserve Bank review, which was a panel of three independent people, and you can read more about who they are in the alert service. Independent Independent people. because the lead um, author of the review is actually a, a protege of, uh, the, her name is, um, if I can find it here, uh, uh, Carolyn, Professor Carolyn Wilkins. She was from the, she was a deputy governor of the Bank of Canada. She, so she worked very, very closely with Bank of Canada and Bank of England well, that's Governor all right. that's Mark all right, eh? Carney. What would the Bank, what, what, the Bank of England kind of wouldn't be any threat, eh? <laughs> but Mark Carney, he also was the head of the Financial Stability Board, which is the Bank for International Settlements, which has written the top-down program for such wonderful inventions such as bail-in, where you st- save, the, you steal the savers' money he's to prop up three, the banks. He's one of three main architects of bail-in, Mark Carney, so he's, she's mm. his protege. So, um, so anyway, March 2023 this year uh, was when they handed down their findings and these recommendations, which you said there's 50 of. We'll go. We'll focus in on that first one, which is the most significant for us in a moment. Um, but the very same day, the government Chalmers announced. We'll back all of this, you know, I mean, basically without even giving any time for public consultation whatsoever. Um, And Ian McFarlane, among other people who have denounced uh, these findings and these recommendations as risky and radical and uncertain, and that includes people from Paul Keating to Peter Costello to Ross Garno, Bernie Fraser, even John Howard. But McFarlane, but he said... Um, he, who was the Reserve Bank governor in the 90s, McFarlane? That's right. He called them radical changes and an untried experiment. But he also said it was inexcusable that the federal government had agreed to implement all the recommendations of the review panel on the day its report was released without any public discussions. But also, Elisa, the, 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 what, the, what Paul Keating said... Um, uh, must be quoted, yeah. Because we are highlighting the fact this is about democratic accountability. Because mm. if you lose this, there's no mechanism in law for the democratically elected institution yeah. to exercise any authority over the banks, the central bank, and the banking system. And Keating said on the 28th of April, "quote Political power, its management and employment in office, must, in a working democracy, take precedence over any subordinate." bureaucratic structure. 
the political, the democratic power has to be supreme. That's what the 1937 Banking Royal Commission said to resolve this question. That's why it exists in law. Mm. And these people are sneakingly, these little, I mean, you, when you put them in, uh, get the pantheon of history up there, right? Put it in front of you. And down this end, in the present time, people who weren't even, you know, their grandparents weren't even born when these fights were taking place. They're, they're in the in the in the expanse of time, they're in their nappies, and they think that they have the the the, the standing to be able to overturn something that's been there for sixty four years, because somehow they're smarter than all these guys who fought for it so hard. And these pol- these people that we've just quoted, they are neo. We we hate neoliberals. Yeah. They are neoliberals themselves. And they're they were, saying it's risky. They were the ones who gave us this current messy banking system. But they're saying, even even they're saying this is a bridge way too far. Yeah, so like Bernie Fraser, who was also the uh, head of the RBA, he said that increased independence from government will lead to less independence from the dictates of financial markets, which basically means... Which means the private banks. The financial mafia, yeah. Yeah. so anyway, the Reserve Bank said we want all of this when they... Sorry, not the Reserve Bank. The review panel said we want all of this legislated and done and dusted by July 2024. So there was quite... You know, that's, um, what, six months away, seven yeah. months away now. Um, so it was on a quite a tight, tight schedule to get it done. So Chalmers had gave another press conference after initially endorsing it in April and reaffirmed the commitment to get the bipartisan support to get it all, get the legislation passed to amend our banking acts that govern the Reserve Bank. Uh, Then in July 2023, and this is what's only coming to light now because it was all so quiet, but mid this year, in July, um, Chalmers began a consultation behind the scenes um, with various parties. And I want to quote what he had to say because this only came to light when he spoke to Patricia Carvalis on Insiders on the 5th of November. He said, I will be introducing the Reserve Bank review legislation in the last week of November. And that's not next week, but the week after mm-hmm. now. So that's a very tight schedule. He said that this comes after a long period of consultation on the recommendations with the RBA, with the opposition and with others. Yeah. Before you go on, what usually happens with a bill is there's, especially a bill like this, now there's a bill being rushed through Parliament today about this High Court decision that let that, that these people out of indefinite immigration detention. This is a bill that's being done out of panic, so that doesn't go through the normal processes. But what normally happens is the, the department, in this case the Treasury, produces a bill and it, goes to, it has an exposure, what's called an exposure draft. And that exposure draft is made public and the public can make submissions. It, there's, a, there's a public consultation. Sometimes it's for a few weeks. Sometimes it's for quite a long time. Now, the, the, the most recent time we've talked about an exposure draft, Elisa, was the um, social media disinformation bill. And that exposure draft got so much blowback mm. through the public consultation that the government announced this week they're taking it back to the drawing board. That's a, and we helped, That's we encouraged victory. people to make mm. those submissions, right? So... Pat yourself on the back. That, we, we contributed to that because um, this was completely Orwellian. So anyway, that's what this process is supposed to be. Yeah. What Chalmers is talking about, he's claiming that the con- he's done this consultation. Oh, yeah, I've consulted yeah. entirely behind the scenes. Mm. That is not democratic. And we've been watching this very closely and there's been not barely a word about it. I went back looking this week and there were a few references, like two or three articles in July 
uh, referencing these so-called consultations which went on, which included a comment by Peter Dutton, which I'll read in a moment. But Chalmers called it a very welcome public debate about the recommendations of the review and said that the government had taken into consideration all of that feedback and all of that consultation and collaboration. That's what he told Patricia Carvelis two Sundays ago. Um, so, but this was all going on behind the scenes and very quietly. What Peter Dutton said on 13th of July was that the Reserve Bank Governor has the independence because they need to make tough calls in our country's interest, even if they're unpopular calls. We don't want somebody there who's been involved in the political process at a senior level, and I think that's a very important point to make, and we've made that clear to the government as well. Oh, yeah, boy, you wouldn't want someone who was actually elected no. to weigh in on such no. matters of importance. And people need to understand that the way you've just put it then is the key. Of course you get cynical about politicians. If you if you get told, oh, a politician's making the decision, and you hate, we all hate politicians. They're, they're full of it, right? You think, well, why would, why would we support that? But you can't lose sight of what is the political process. Mm. That is the only way democratic accountability vote, works. You can vote right? them out. If you don't like them, vote them out. But these independent reserve bank guys, yeah. you can't vote them out. And if you don't think they've got power... Look what's happened to our economy in the last 18 months since mm. um, the previous Reserve Bank governor said there won't be any interest rate rises for a couple of years till 2024. <laughs> and suddenly every mm. mortgage owner in Australia has been absolutely smashed. And I want to put something to bed that based on the history, um, uh, what, what the premise of what um, Dutton is saying is that if a politician had oversight over the Reserve Bank, they would try and force the Reserve Bank to do the thing that suits the politician politically, which in the case of money is pump out more money to help me politically, mm. right? Well, Pork barrelling. Pork barrelling. There's, there's only two times... This, this, this power has never been used in 64 years. Never. There's only two times it's been threatened to be used. Mm. One of those was in 1960 by Harold Holt, and he threatened to stop the Reserve Bank from raising interest rates. So that seems like a self-serving politician. And he backed down over that, but he actually tried to, he actually threatened to use it, or he, he threatened to oversee the, over, you know, overrule the Reserve Bank. Mm. The other time was Paul Keating in the 80s, and he threatened the opposite. Yeah. He threatened to force the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates. And that was not in his political interest at all. You were, if you're old enough, you were paying 17% already at the time, and he wanted you to pay 17.25%, right? So it doesn't follow, that historical experience doesn't follow that politicians will only ever be self-serving with this, mm. right? It just doesn't follow. Now, the other thing that was happening in July behind the scenes while this supposedly wonderful public debate about these Reserve Bank recommendations was going on is that the then head of the Reserve Bank, Philip Lowe, was in consultations um, with the Treasury over a rewrite, which was also demanded by the RBA review panel, of what's called the Statement on the Conduct of Monetary Policy. And that's basically the compact between the Reserve Bank and the government um, to agree how, how monetary policy will be handled. And I just note that because... Um, in, at the end of the RBA review panel's final report, they say that we should only pursue these legislative changes if we have full bipartisan support. 
because we don't want to risk, you know, not getting this job done. So if there's, if we don't know ahead of time that we've got the numbers to get this through, we don't want a big debate to blow up around it and it could backfire. So, well, they didn't say that, but, you know, I'm, I'm inferring that. No, it's true. What they, the, the picture people should have in their mind is, this, the, the power we're talking about is the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Mm. Right? That, that's what the Reserve Bank has. It's the power of the Wizard. They don't want attention. Mm. They want, here, here's the smoke and mirrors out here. Don't pay attention to what's going on behind the curtain. And if, we, if this becomes too much, too controversial, and the public yeah. starts paying attention yeah. to what's going on behind the curtain, the whole thing's up. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you either have, you know, the, the numbers and the deal done ahead of time and get it through Stitch it up and get quickly, it through. Or they said, we'll take a non-legislative pathway instead, which won't be as good or as thoroughgoing, etc., because then it doesn't rule it out still from being used. But the way to do that would be by a rewrite of this statement on the conduct of monetary policy, including, this is a quote from the report, including a statement that the government will not use its overrule power and the RBA will not use its power to determine the lending policy of banks. <laughs> and there's the giveaway. So can I, let me just interpret that. So the first one, so what they're saying is, if it's too controversial, achieve it through this statement. But the fact the, the fact that statement has two parts tells you everything. So the first part is that, yeah, okay, the government says, yes, we have this power, but we'll never use it. Yeah. We promise. The second part is, the Reserve Bank says we will not use our power that's in legislation mm. to tell the banks mm. how they should lend their money. And that's the rub. That's the big yeah. one. Yeah, and we'll go through those what those powers are in, well now, but we'll start off with the government override power and we'll put up on the screen. So this is, we talked about the very first recommendation before of the Reserve Bank Review Panel. So this is, this is it. Um, Recommendation one, affirm the RBA's independence and clarify its statutory monetary policy objectives. And then it's broken up into three components. So first is the big one. The RBA should continue to have operational independence for monetary policy. The government should remove the power of the treasurer to overrule the RBA's decisions. Now, um, while we're talking about that, I'll, I'll put up the next image, actually, and then we'll come back to the other factors because that power is in the Reserve Bank Act 1959 under Section 11 and we'll put that section of the Reserve Bank Act, this is the prevailing um, still governing legislation of the Reserve Bank to this day. So this still applies and it says, I'm skipping to, uh, well it talks about a difference in the event of a difference of opinion between the government and one of the boards of the Reserve Bank um, and it goes on to say if they're unable to reach agreement because of that. Process. Yeah, that the Treasurer may then submit a recommendation to the Governor-General and the Governor-General acting with the advice of the Federal Executive Council may, by order, determine the policy to be adopted by the bank. So basically the Treasurer's will prevails. That's right. right. The elected Treasurer's will prevails over the unelected Reserve Bank Governor. That's how, you, that's how you've got to understand this. And this came about because in 1932, the Treasurer told the Commonwealth Bank, the Reserve Bank was called the Commonwealth Bank then, to issue money into the Depression economy to get people into jobs, and the Commonwealth Bank Governor refused. And that led to a Royal Commission in 1937, and the Royal Commission ruled 
that the government of the day is the ultimate authority over the banking system. And um, the Menzies Lyons government ignored that. But when John Curtin and Ben Chifley came to power, um, they used the War Powers Act to actually make the Commonwealth Bank do the bidding of the government. And it was very, very successful in World War II. And then they legislated in 1930, sorry, 45, the 1945 Banking Act to um, this, this particular measure was put in the Banking Act in 1945 that the Treasurer can overrule the Reserve Bank Governor. And when Menzies split off the Reserve Bank in 59, it stayed in there because it was actually, it was still a consensus and it's been in there ever since. So 64 years in the Reserve Bank Act, Elisa, plus an extra, mm. you know, 14 years. Um, in the Commonwealth Bank Act. Mm. Now, this slide I'll put up now, this is the further explanation of the removal of this power from the RBA Review's final report. So it says, removing the Treasurer's power to overrule RBA decisions. To further enhance the RBA's monetary policy independence, the review recommends the repeal of Section 11 of the RBA Act, which sets out a procedure for the government to override decisions of the Reserve Bank Board. While no Australian government has used these override powers, there is the possibility that established con conventions cease to be observed. And that, that's the, that established convention is the unspoken um, uh, neoliberal consensus on economic policy since deregulation took place. I saw, I saw the first draft of this review, RBA review before they edited it down to make it shorter. Uh. So that sentence actually said, while no Australian government has used these override powers, from watching the Citizens Report on YouTube for the last few years and seeing repeated <laughs> videos of Senator Jared Rennick and Senator Nick McKim taking the Reserve Bank to task over why it isn't using its credit policy to improve the economy, uh. there is the possibility that established conventions cease to be observed. And they thought mm. they should take their bit out so they didn't flag it, but I'd already seen it because I got this special X-ray well, X-ray vision, right? It, it's funny because we, when we made our submission to this review, yeah, <laughs> and the Greens, the, our conduct in the Greens said the same thing because we put all of this. We said, look, this is what this it's going to be used. used to do. Well, this is we said this is how the ABA, RBA should be used, but this is what the review is probably going to recommend. It's going to strip all this out, and then after this came out, in fact, some of the language in it is but remarkably we, similar to some of what was in our submissions. But we don't know. See, this is the thing. So I, there is a possibility, public, that we should be blaming Elisa <laughs> for this fight because she did lay it out in the... She wrote the Citizens Party's submission and said, look, this is the power you've got. Use it. And it's entirely possible that some dumb bureaucrat read this and go, oh, my God. And that's why well, it's now an issue. the the same thing, so it wasn't just me. Well, anyway... Continuing with this quote, if we'll keep that back, put that back on the screen. So, so it says, you know, it's never been used. Um, but under certain circumstances, the conventions could cease to be observed. The current legislation creates the risk that the government wields or threatens to wield power in a way that undermines the independent operation of monetary policy. Parliament should define the RBA's objectives and independence through the underlying legislation without the option for overrule by executive government. So that's that's 1.1, 1. 1, yep. removing that power of the government um, over, to override the bank. Now, 1.2, and we'll just cover this one briefly, um, the government should amend the Reserve Bank Act, that's the same governing legislation, 
1959 such that one, the RBA has dual monetary policy objectives of price stability and price uh, and, and full employment. Now, I'll, do, I'll just say one comment about that, which is that um, the actual governing legislation, the Reserve Bank Act 1959, when it was first written, did not specify fighting inflation as a job for the uh, Reserve Bank. It simply called for, quote, the stability of the currency, the maintenance of full employment and the economic prosperity and welfare of the people of Australia. And in the second point here, you can see under 1.2, it says the economic prosperity and welfare of the people of Australia now and in the future is an overarching purpose for the RBA rather than a separate objective for monetary policy. So they're going to take out that wording about, you know, the prosperity and welfare of the people of Australia because, oh, that's not a specific objective. That's too airy-fairy. Um, but what they want to do is they basically want to put inflation targeting on an equal level with unemployment. But it's, as we've seen, you know, Michelle Bullock say X number of extra people are going to have to be unemployed if we want to get inflation down because we have to suppress demand and wages and all those things. So it creates this unfair um, trade-off between the two, um, which actually subverts the prosperity and welfare of the people of Australia. And undermining the economic, undermining that provision by making it an overarching um, purpose. purpose, purpose rather than a, a specific objective, um, is weakening the role of the RBA as a potential national bank. They don't want that mm. um, because that, when you have language like that in in, in law then that can justify... We, we, we have looked at legislation that we could introduce entirely justified by that wording in the RBA Act, mm. right? And they want to take it out. Um, this is all about it, this taking away the potential for it to be a national bank. And the, the RBA report actually says that if that is an objective, as it is now, that full the prosperity and welfare, if that's an objective, it provides too much discretion <laughs> to the RBA. So Discretion... And by the way, good discretion. Discretion yeah, for the people. Yeah, to protect the people. The people. Yeah, for that's the people. right. So we've got to get rid of that. And, and just, just to emphasise, look, look at the end of it. Now and in the future. Yeah. Right? This is, there's, a, there's a clause in legislation now that says the government has to be considered, make sure things work now and in the future. Mm. So for, I'll give you a con, an example of doing not doing that, sorry, which is the bailout of the banks. Because when they bailed out the banks in 2008, what they did is... They propped up the system now and they kicked the can down the road. They made the future worse. Mm-hmm. The future, we're in the future now. Well, the inflation is a result exactly. of all that bailout money. We're in money. that future now, mm. right? That's what they've caused because of the way they did that. And a, a, a government that actually truly cared about the welfare of the people would have done something differently. Mm. Now, the final part of... Point one. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going through all 50. This is no, the only no, one we're covering. Like but only one. Now, this is the relevant stuff. It's in the first point. So 1.3 says the government should remove the RBA's power in the Banking Act 1959. So this is a different piece of governing legislation, not the RBA Act, the Banking Act, to determine. So the RBA's power to determine the lending policy of banks. Um, so this is where, we'll put this up on the screen, Banking Act 1959, Section 36, advanced policy, advanced meaning loans. Yep. It says where the Reserve Bank is satisfied that it is necessary or expedient to do so in the public interest, the Reserve Bank may determine the policy of the private banks in relation to advances to be followed by ADIs, which is authorised deposit. And Elisa, this is, a, this is a tool. Now, Michelle Bullock said at the last Senate estimates 
We only have one tool. Yeah. And that's what the, uh-uh. that's what the RBA has been saying. We only have one tool to fight inflation, which is interest rates. So they get everyone adi- they get everyone on in mortgage debt, right? At, at interest official interest rates of zero point one percent, and they say ah inflation, and they whack up to four point two five or four and a half whatever it is at the moment, right? Four point two five percent, I think, um, in the space of. 18 months, mm-hmm. and it's smashing the public out there. If you were on this, if you're $700,000 mortgage and um, you were paying $3,000 a month back at the beginning of 2022, you're now paying over $5,000 a month. What families can just pluck that out of midair, out of thin air, right? It's just ridiculous. Mm. And it wasn't true. That What you're seeing on the screen means it wasn't true. What the Reserve Bank could have said to the banks is this. Um, in fact, we'll put this up. The latest inflation figures show that half, at least a half of all inflation in Australia Mm. is rental costs, housing costs and utilities costs. Well, utilities can be dealt with by the government by nationalising the utilities again and cutting the price of the damn things. And countries like places like Queensland that actually have state-owned utilities should just be slashing the price of those utilities. So that's a separate thing. But the majority is housing costs and rental costs, right? So the, the Reserve Bank could have said to the banks, look, your lending into property is what is driving this. So instead of raising interest rates on the people who are already in debt, now they shouldn't have got down to very low anyway. They should have always been around, you know, four or five percent. But instead of raising rates, stop lending in those areas mm. that are actually causing increasing the demand for the limited supply of housing we've got, and start lending into small businesses in regional Australia. Let's revive regional Australia. Let's let's create economic opportunities that attract people out into regional Australia, etc. Right? Let's let's invest in things that can improve our supply chains because it's the it's the um, uh, the breakdowns in supply chains that also drive up the price of property. Let's let's get some refineries back in Australia. Let's open up the ones we close down so we're not our fuel costs are not dependent on total refining refining in Singapore. Let's drive down prices of, of fuel that way. Let's 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 um let's take on the, the the cartel that that determines the gas price right. That's that's driving up your utilities costs and actually mm-hmm. physically mechanically specifically get inflation down that way without crushing mm. the soul out of hundreds of thousands, millions of households around Australia. That's what that measure allows them to do and they refuse to use it. And now these evil banking elite are demanding take it out, take that power away. Mm. No, mm. the Australian public have to understand we can, these people in parliament are not qualified to give up your power on your behalf. That's your power. That's your protection. The greatest prime ministers in Australian history fought for this protection for you in the 1930s and the 1940s. This was the biggest battle the Labor Party ever fought in its history. This is what defined the Labor Party. And now these people who have taken over the Labor Party, these pinstripe bankers like Jim Chalmers and Anna Bly who run the Australian Labor Party like gangsters, they are not qualified, morally or otherwise, to take away your power. Get mad and do Direct that mad at that anger at the politicians for the next few weeks. We've got to hit them and hit them hard. Yes. <laughs> now, there's another power, actually, that I'll just mention quickly before we move on because that Section 36, this is something that Senator Nick McKim constantly harangued the RBA chief and deputies about in constant and in um, repetitive Senate estimates <coughs> sessions um, because... 
the RBA had the power to direct lending to make sure it went as you went through into the areas where it was needed and didn't inflate asset bubbles in other areas. But the other power that is closely related to that is in the same Banking Act 1959, which is uh, Section 50, which allows the Reserve Bank to exercise control of interest rates. And you'll see that up on the screen. I'm not going to read through that. But I wanted to just make the point that these powers that still exist in the law today give... So the Reserve Bank can direct lending using the loans policies that we went through in Section 36, the interest rate controls in Section 50. They can guide credit handed to them through quantitative easing or whatever process, and they can actually selectively put it where it needs to be to make sure the economy yep. operates how it has to operate. And another tier above that, the government can override, still in legislation to this day, the RBA to tell them to do it, right? So even short of starting a national bank, a public post office bank, or an infrastructure bank like Jared Rennick demanded, which we played the video of last week, even before those, you know, better ways of doing it, Absolutely. you know, setting up the kind of institution that we want for perpetuity, we can do it now in a makeshift way because those powers are there. But if they're gone, yep. they're gone. So if you trust politicians and central bankers and private bankers, don't do anything. Don't send an email. Don't send, don't make a phone call. But if you don't, like us... Drop everything and do it. We have two weeks to make an enormous stink out of this before that schmuck in his pinstripe suit, the Treasurer of Australia, gets up, Anna Bly's special confidant, gets up in Parliament and introduces this bill. And we have to make it toxic. We have to make members of Parliament afraid to be identified with it. This is something we can stop. They are already worried that it gets too controversial. That's in our favour. We must make it controversial. And that starts with you sending an email, making a phone, sending three emails and making three phone calls. Mm. We'll put the, the, the instructions below. Now, this next topic is just as hot, actually, in a different way, particularly relating to the war front, foreign policy front, you know, strategic issues that the world is facing, which are dire. So we're talking about Australia's national morality is on trial. And we're talking here about, as I mentioned earlier, the case of David McBride, who was a lawyer for the Australian Defence Forces, serving a number of tours in Afghanistan and who became a whistleblower, exposing the corruption um, yep. and grave problems within the Australian military. And Friend his, of the show. Yeah, and he's been on our Citizens Insight, which people should re-watch that. It's excellent. It's the longest interview David's done. He really appreciated the time we gave him to do it. It was over two hours because he got to tell his whole backstory In depth, and, yeah. and how he leaked the material, etc. So it, he, he really loves that interview. Watch it. And his court case started on Monday. It's ongoing. We'll put up some photos because uh, we had a crowd of people, a bunch of people that came to participate in the rallies in support of David McBride and other whistleblowers, including Dan Duggan, who's sitting in a freezing jail cell. It might be slightly warming up now, but I'm sure there's other problems that will yeah. come along with the heat. Um, but also, of course, Julian Assange and others and there was a lot of support there, which David was very happy about. Um, he spoke to the crowd of supporters in front of the courthouse before he went into the court. He said, today I serve my country. The question I have for you, Anthony Albanese, is who do you serve? And that is a big issue that is going to is coming to a head in this trial already. And the reason he said that is he, he wants... He, he could have probably cut a deal by now. 
right? He wants this trial because he wants to put the system on trial. Mm. And one of the part the part that relates to Anthony Albanese and Mark Dreyfus is they gave when they were in opposition all this lip service about yeah we'll protect whistleblowers we'll protect whistleblowers that's essentially what David McBride was he blew the whistle on war crimes and has now been fully vindicated by the Verifin report and the court case um, uh, involving um, the uh, Victoria Cross winner um, so he's been vindicated by those rulings yeah. and and uh, they should discontinue this mm. right but they won't discontinue this because there is an apparatus a a, a globalised, five-eyes security state apparatus or state security apparatus that we're in, be- in bed with the Americans and the Brits, etc., in these, in these military activities, and nobody can break ranks. Nobody can break ranks. And so Albanese is doing the bit by... And Dreyfus, by not withdrawing these charges, is doing the bidding of that. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, so um, in the Parliament on Monday... You know, the Greens had put up this motion to for the Attorney-General to drop the charges, um, but the two parties, as they do when it comes to these really important matters in terms of defence, foreign policy and banking, as yeah. we just talked about... The two parties will comb- well, intend to gang up on the banking issue to ram through that reserve bank power. The two parties ganged up to shut down the motion to get the, the Attorney-General to withdraw these charges. Both in the House of Reps and in the Senate, blocking the Greens and the cross benches on that issue. And and uh, Dreyfus said, he has said in the past, that ministerial intervention, for if he were to intervene in this case, is reserved for very unusual and exceptional circumstances. And as you wrote in the alert service this week, well, this is the very definition of an exceptional circumstance, but Australia is renowned for persecuting whistleblowers and so in that case, it's, it's not, not unusual, unusual. That's what all. struck me about the language. Of course it's exceptional. This guy, everything about this trial is exceptional. So therefore, if you've got the power to use except in exceptional circumstances, do it. But when he said unusual, I'm thinking, yeah. well, yeah, you persecute every whistleblower you can. We have a system that is built on secrecy and they crush the, 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 the people in the bureaucracies. They have to make them afraid, live in fear, so they don't break ranks and expose the true face of the system. That's why David McBride has to be scapegoated mm. and Richard Boyle, who exposed the ATO, and Witness K, who exposed the bugging of the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the Timor-Leste embassy, etc. We crush these people to send a message to the rest, a chilling, have a chilling effect on the rest of Australia. Mm, yeah. Now, um, so, because what happened with <coughs> the McBride case, he admits that he broke, because it's about you know, he had an obligation to follow military regulations. This is the basis of the case. Because initially he was charged, as you talked about in the interview with him, with stealing government property, which was literally... (laughs) Pink paper. paper that he (laughs) photocopied, the documents that he (laughs) leaked on. But then only later was he charged with unlawfully disclosing a government document. Now, he admits he broke the military regulations. Um, But... He also argues that he had a duty to the nation to do so, you know, absolutely, which supersedes military discipline. Um, So McBride's lawyers are arguing that a soldier's duty is not just to follow his superior's orders, but the much larger larger duty is to serve the entire nation. Uh, But the government is arguing that McBride's primary duty was to follow orders. Um, The accused 
was a legal officer, said the, the lawyer. He was not appointed to inform the press. He contravened his official duty. In fact, there is a public interest in non-disclosure. This is what the prosecutor said for the government. Despite everything, as you said, that he has divulged, having been proven yeah. by the Brereton Report and other things. And, and Elisa, what is it... I mean, if you have had any historical... education in history in the last 70 years. When you hear that, no, you're just to follow orders, what does that bring to the mind of most people immediately? Mm. And that's actually what came up at the trial, Nuremberg. Mm. This is what they've literally argued. The Crown has argued that, no, when David McBride swore an oath in the military, it was an oath to the Queen, and an oath to the Queen is, you just do what the Queen says. That's all it is. But sorry... Case law, informed by the Nuremberg war crimes trials, people were hanged at Nuremberg for following orders. Mm. Yet, and that's been, we, our morality as the West, the people who imposed those punishments at Nuremberg, we had the moral authority to impose those punishments. No, you don't just follow orders. Mm. You must do the right thing. Our government is now arguing the Nazi side of the argument to put this poor man in jail for 50 years. Yeah. You wonder why I rant all the time. <laughs> Save Robbie's heart. We, Do the right thing. There's a, there's a, <laughs> we, we, fo- we try and focus on the big issues in this party. <laughs> and the big issues just happen to be the well, issues that take on real evil. And this yeah. is real evil. Well, and just to say that Nuremberg precedent, that's enshrined in Australian law too because McBride's lawyer pointed out, he said, there is also a duty to disobey unlawful orders under Section 45 of the Defence Act. The accused had a duty to the administration of justice. So, the, the, the uh, yet the government's arguing the opposite. This is going to come to some really big issues in this yep. case. Yep. You know, so thank you, David, because these are the things that need to be the subject of discussion and debate. Now, David lays out, um, you know, everything he went through to um, battle with this question of revealing this information at the risk of life imprisonment in his new book, The Nature of Honour, Son, Duty-Bound Soldier, Military Lawyer, Truth-Teller, Father. And we urge everybody to go to Amazon, Booktopia, you'll find it anywhere, and buy a copy of his book to not only to read it, but of course to support his the fight book, as well. The, the book was released on the date of the opening of the hearing. We had, there was a, so on the last Sunday, there was a, there was a rally in Glebe Park in Canberra. And then on the Monday, there was a rally in front of it. And that's where David said, who do you serve, Mr. Albanese? Um, but the book was released on that date. And David, David's in for the fight of his life. Mm. And what people need to appreciate is this is a man who followed his conscience. And in following his conscience, he exposed something that, yeah, the power of elite don't want exposed. But, um, you know, it's needed to come to light, right? It absolutely needed to come to light. And that he knew that he would be in trouble for it. Go back mm. and watch my interview mm. with him. He knew he would be in trouble for it. Mm. And now it is literally the case where the attorney... Forget people tell you, I oh, know there's a rule of law in Australia, the Attorney General can't intervene. Garbage. Bernard Collary had his charges withdrawn by the Attorney General. That is absolute rubbish. The Attorney General is the top legal law officer in the land. He can do this. All they've got to do is withdraw the charges or else or else, by the letter of the law, he's, guilt, he's already mm. guilty. And, and the, the, the penalty is 50 years. Right, but this man followed his conscience for his country, and that's you know 
I'm inspired by that because we're the Australian Citizens Party and our slogan is citizens taking responsibility. We all need to be motivated mm. by our conscience to do the right thing, Look, right? And it's people like that who are willing to listen to their conscience and speak the truth regardless of the consequences to their own livelihood, in, in fact, yep. that are the real leaders of this country. Um, yep. You know, it shows we have the capacity to survive as a nation if we bring forward that quality of leadership. The morality is in Australia. It's just not in running government. Right? <laughs> but that's, it can that's, be. Of course. We have to and get it back. And there are good people in Parliament and there's people that can be transformed. So in this case, in this case, get behind David. Mm. He's going to need the financial support for his trial. Um, he seems to have a good lawyer who's really taking up this fight over the Nuremberg Principle, mm. right? Which is a, it's been a fascinating trial so far. Um, buy his book, right, and encourage other people to to buy his book. And like I said, watch the uh, we'll put the link below to our interview. Um, but apart from that, Elisa, yes, back to what we were saying before. Now we're at the end of the show. Drop everything. Um, if you're watching this on the weekend, you can't make a call, but you can send an email straight away to the treasurer, the, the shadow treasurer, and your member of parliament. And on Monday pick up the phone and call yeah. their offices and say, did you get my email? My, and they'll make them find your email because they, they email, you know, your emails go in the big inbox, right? Make them find your email, confirm they got it, mm. and say you tell him or him or her, they, this is unacceptable, this bill. You mm. must not give up democratic accountability and, and, and control over the banking system. Yeah, and just stay tuned to your email because we will have further uh, marching orders. We'll keep tailoring this mobilisation, taking aim in a precise way. Yeah. Uh, so, so stay tuned to that. Contact us for more information, uh, to find out more, to get involved, to find other local people you can coordinate with um, and have more fun in the process. So, yep. oh, and, and if you're in Brisbane in the next... Uh, oh, yeah. if, you, if you're in the, in the Brisbane area, get in touch with... Um, Contact the Citizens Party on our toll-free number, one 636 We'll put you in touch with Jan Pacullis. She's going to do a... The Treasurer is in Brisbane, remember, for Rankin, um, Logan and that area. Um, she's going to do a lot of effort there next mm. week when Parliament's not sitting to really get this message through on. to him. Mm. If you want to join the, uh, the, the street effort, get in touch and support that. Yeah. That's the show for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. See you next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.